ora and welcome to Family, Whānau and Disability, a podcast brought to you by Parent to Parent New Zealand. We are here for the many Kiwi families out there caring for a disabled child or family member. We know the journey caring for a disabled or a neurodiverse child is not an easy or a straightforward one. So this podcast is a place to explore the issues that affect us, to share stories, swap tips and even have a laugh or two. We would love for you to join us each month, so make sure you subscribe. Please also be aware that the views shared are those of the individual and may not represent the views of parent to parent. This podcast is brought to you by Parent to Parent. Please note any views or opinions expressed on the programme are of the individual speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent Parent to Parent as an organisation. Welcome to the Connect, Inform, Support podcast, brought to you by Parent to Parent, the non-profit organisation supporting the families and whānau of people with disabilities all across New Zealand. Hi, uh, welcome to Connect Inform Support. I'm Louise, your host, and joining me today is Rebecca Armstrong, one of the researchers from Parent to Parent. We're going to be talking today about the social versus the medical model of disability. So, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you. And can you tell us a bit what does it mean, the social versus medical model? Okay, so <laughs> where do I start? Um, essentially, it's the different ways of looking at diagnosis and treatment or intervention and how people are supported in our country. Um, The medical model is more looking at um, diagnosing, um, aiming to cure, changing the person. um, And it's kind of that person is seen as faulty and there's a problem with that person. And then assessment, monitoring, therapy is placed to fix that person. Um, And that's pretty much a little, a very brief summary on the medical model. Whereas the social model sees society as more of the the problems within society and and um, society not being as inclusive or not um, not being set up to allow access to different things. So rather than the the person seen as faulty, the person's more valued and it's more um, a strengths or a needs basis rather than a treatment fixing curing kind of. Yeah. So. Basically, if if you're looking at the medical model, it's saying that this person has something wrong with them that we need to fix in order for them to fit into normal society, normal in inverted commas. Whereas the social model says, right, society is disabling this person. We need to adjust society so they can fit into it. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to change ourselves rather than changing them. Yeah, and that could be not necessarily just changing it so that there's ramps and wheelchair access but actually taking increasing society's understanding of disability and awareness because some disabilities are invisible yeah. it's not always clear so society having more of an understanding and valuing that difference in that neurodiversity as well as physical diversity yeah. um i think is a big key yeah i think that's it a lot of people forget that disability doesn't just mean wheelchairs and ramps or braille on ATMs and things like that. It's it's a lot of 
different things that we don't necessarily think of as non-disabled people. So can you can you give me sort of an idea what sort of um, accommodations we could make for people that would be a bit more inclusive of people with invisible disabilities or sort of things? I think there's, that depends on the situation and depends on where, the, where you are. Um, I mean, a big one, I think, is starting with awareness and inclusiveness and, and teaching that in schools as well. Um, you know, teaching to value difference and, and to not judge people based on, you know, someone might be covering their ears in a situation that is really loud and not judging that, but maybe finding ways to quiet the noise so that person can be included rather than need to leave. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and normalising the fact as well, if, if we, like you said, if we teach it in schools from the beginning, then kids start to see different kids as being just another kid as, as opposed mm. to someone who's got special needs or who's a bit strange. Yeah, absolutely. Normalise it. And, and develop a empathy and a... Um, you know, yeah, value that difference. I think that's a big thing. And children are really good at actually doing that. Yeah, and just, yeah, and taking it into account without having to be told to take it into account. I think that's a big thing that a lot of the time we have to be made to think about people who are different from us. We have to have it pointed out because it doesn't occur to us. I know I've, I've been guilty of that where something hasn't occurred to me and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I didn't even think that would be a problem. Oh, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But I mean, going back to the, the social versus medical model, and we are uh, in New Zealand undergoing a, a system transformation at the moment. So uh, what's happening that to, and how well are we doing at the moment with it, uh, with with social model of, of account and, you know, inclusivity, basically? Yeah, I think I think we're definitely in a period of change where, I mean, where our whole system is actually under transformation at the moment, starting... It's been rolled out in mid-central area and for the last few years there's been different pilots of different ways of working in, within the system, of changing the system um, in different areas. So I think we are definitely moving towards a more social model. Um, I mean, unfortunately, there's still aspects of the medical model coming through because it's diagnosis-based. So funding is only allocated based on diagnosis, not necessarily based on need. Um, But when someone does have a diagnosis and they can get access to these services, they're starting to be um, a lot more freedom of choice. You know, it's kind of those enabling good lives is coming through um, that looks at at fostering independence and... and, um, increasing choice and autonomy and self-determination and it's a much more person-centred way of living and and it's looking more at rather than only allowing people access to Ministry of Health funded services, there's more freedom and choice for people now. So this new model kind of is is creating a more socially inclusive world or you know, environment for us as a country. Yeah, what are we currently doing in New Zealand that's working well? Is there any any sort of examples of how we're how we're in, including people at the moment? Or um, well, the Ministry of Health, the new model for supporting disabled people um, that does increase choice and control over the supports they receive. 
Um, that looks at four main areas where change is kind of happening. That's looking at choice and community living. So it's actually an alternative to residential services and allowing people to have an opportunity for more choice and control in their living and, and arrangements. And that might mean rather than in a residential service, they get to flat and and live with people who they choose to live with. Mm-hmm. And um, as adults do when they reach a certain age. So it's more that, you know, um, creating a life like every, every other. Yeah. Um, there's local area coordination, which is another move away from only access to Ministry of Health funding. In that way, people, um, it's, it's looking more at that strength-based, needs-based model, not not trying to fix the person, but what's going to increase this person's quality of life. And it's really based, you know, it's collaborative, work with the person, figure out their goals and their dreams and their desires and um, coordinate it, make it happen, you know. It's about building those relationships and fostering a a good life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's massive. Yeah, and that's it. And it all comes back to talking to the person who's directly affected by this, the person with a disability Mm -hmm. first and foremost, getting their goals and their aspirations and working to achieve them rather than just saying, well, here is your choice of what you can do with your life and off you go. That's it. That's all you get to pick. Whereas, you know, most people just go, oh, I don't know what I want to do and have a go at everything. Yeah. And and that's like kind of that move away from the, this is a person that needs to be fixed, but this is a person that how can we make their lives better and how can they access different services that any other person this age would be able to access. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. And and the idea of... um looking at somebody's abilities rather than their disabilities as well, looking at what they are able to do, what they can contribute and yeah. um, maximising that rather than trying to say, well, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do the other. Yeah. Well, you can do this, so let's find you a job that's suitable for that or let's find you yeah. somewhere to live that, that fits your needs. Because yeah. previously it would be that, um, okay, so this person needs... Uh, respite care, like it was very limited in what they could access. Now, with enhanced individualised funding as well as this local area coordination, then they get this funding pool of money that if they have a strength or a passion for dancing, they can access dancing in mainstream services, you know. If they um, are really good with... Their, their hands and visual stuff, then they could go and do courses in, in building or, you know, so it's just access to, it's opening up what their money can be spent on rather than limiting it to very specific services such as just respite or... Um, yeah. yeah, voluntary work yeah. <laughs> or really poorly paid work, which yeah. is another one. Which is still a problem. That's a yeah. whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, right we will so. be talking about that. Yeah, the, the badly paid yeah. people. Um, the other thing was, oh, my brain was thinking. Um, yeah, and the other thing I'm thinking is in order to be able to access these more mainstream services, it comes back again to awareness and understanding in the mainstream. So mm. we need to encourage more mainstream businesses and service providers to make themselves inclusive, even if they don't think they need to be. Because I think I heard a story one time where um, a friend of mine who was um, building a, a, a playground jungle gym at a kid's preschool 
and he um, said to them, hey, um, if you put a ramp in here instead of stairs, it would be a lot more accessible. And they said, oh, we don't have anyone who uses a wheelchair. And that's why they didn't want to do it. And it's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't have to have someone in a wheelchair in order to put a ramp in. It's not going to stop the people who don't need a wheelchair from yeah. getting in. And I think it's changing that mindset that we automatically include everybody rather than having to think, oh, well, we don't have this person, we don't have that person, so we don't have to worry about them. It's future-proofing as yeah. well, isn't it? Yeah. Because who knows who's going to attend that school or the exactly. preschool. So. Yeah. And it's convincing people that it's not going to be um, cost, you know, it's not going to be expensive and it's not going to be problematic to create this future-proofing. It's going to save them money and also make them more accessible to more people in the long term, so it's going to make them more appealing to people. And, I mean... To look at it from a purely economic standpoint, there's a lot of people out there with disabilities who want to spend their money on stuff. Mm. So why are you not thinking about that? Why are you not including them? They, you know, they're going to go somewhere else if you don't provide the services or the or the business opportunities. We were, going, we were talking about the um, enabling good lives principles. So, can you tell us about the the main key principles of that? How that how that's going to work? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, enabling good lives has nine key principles at the the foundation of it, which is based on. Um, this is looking at beginning early, so getting supports in place for people early, getting services in when children are young, increasing support. Uh, you know making it more socially inclusive, teaching things in schools, um, easy to use, so making it so services are easy to use, so they're minimising those barriers and those um, difficult, dif the difficulties in accessing different things are very person-centred. So what we've discussed, you know, that taking a person's strengths and capabilities and needs and desires and dreams and goals all into consideration, not imposing, as the medical model would, would say, um, what would treat this person, what does this person need from an external point of view, but actually collaboratively working with someone, you know, making it around that person um, manner enhancing that's a that's a big one you know fostering autonomy um, giving people self-determination and the ability to have control over their life and not feel controlled mm. or or not feel like they don't have the same opportunities as other people you know builds fosters self-worth and esteem and yeah. all of that kind of stuff mm. Um, and ordinary life outcomes, you know, don't put barriers on people, don't put expectations on people, don't expect less from someone just because they're disabled or they, you know, they have a different brain. In fact, value that, create that, um, expect the unexpected or kind of... Um, yeah, I think that's a big one. And I think that that's another thing that comes down to societal awareness. We tend to make assumptions of about somebody if they have a disability. We tend to assume that they can't do X, Y and Z or we worry about trying to push them into something that they're not suitable for. So 
But we don't do that with people who aren't disabled. We just say, hey, look, give it a go. So why, yeah, why not extend that to everybody regardless? And again, it comes back down to normalising disabilities as just being part of the spectrum of humanity. Yeah, absolutely. And if people say, oh, no, I have a sensory issue, I can't do this, but if you give me protective earmuffs I can do it and it's like okay yeah here's a cupboard full of them we got them for anyone who needs them that sort of thing just normalize it so it's not an it's not an unexpected surprise when someone says oh I need this accommodation or I need some help with that you know yeah absolutely and and value that um you know that this person could do great things and a lot of our great minds have done amazing things and they think differently than normal inverted yeah. comrades. And this is the thing, people people forget, I think, that you got people like Stephen Hawking, who was physically disabled in a wheelchair, but one of the greatest minds of all time, with this just amazing idea of the universe. And yeah, people think that Einstein was probably on the autistic spectrum and Anyone, anyone who's come up with any kind of genius invention has always been res- regarded as eccentric or quirky or a bit different. So why can't we just accept that that's like part of humanity? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Include people a bit more. Yeah. Um, the, cu- the couple more that I haven't mentioned as well yeah. as that mainstream first, which I kind of alluded to yeah. a little bit earlier, just that um, access to wh- whatever yeah. people want to access, yeah. not limited options. Yeah. Um, increasing that choice and freedom. Yeah. And, and then a key one as well is that relationship building. Yeah. So when you've got, a, you've got you know, the key for NASC, for local area coordination, for people working with people with disabilities, for, for health professionals, for anyone, getting to know, get, building that relationship, putting um, an understanding of that person first as as a human with their experiences and and yeah. really valuing that and seeing what their goals and yeah. ne- and needs are yeah. moving forward yeah. working with someone rather than on someone yes yeah. yeah rather than seeing of, them as a, a client number seeing them yeah. as a person who has aspirations rather yeah. than seeing it as we need to fix this we need to change this we need to make them fit in more we need to but seeing it as what's going to make this person's life the best possible life that they can have yeah. and yeah. it's all about that quality of life and exactly. and increasing that quality of life <laughs> exactly you yeah. know giving everybody the same kind of opportunity yeah and purpose and meaning and access and and building you know, that sense of, um, or that manner, it's that manner enhancing as well, isn't it? Um, I think we're just about out of time there. So um, thanks for joining us on the podcast, Rebecca. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Connect Inform Support. Many thanks to Wintech Music and Performing Arts Department. Connect, inform, support from parent to parent. Presented by Louise Ratcliffe. This programme and its show notes are available for download on our website, parenttoparent.org.nz.
This has been Family, Whānau and Disability from Parent to Parent. I have been your host, Johanna. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast and that you'll join us again soon.